Um, sorry for the sound quality on that, um, that video. Um, Naomi wasn't able to be here in person um, today, so I just wanted to try and catch that. There's so much in her story. Alrighty, why don't you just stand up and have a bit of a wriggle for a wee moment? Standing all right there? Super. I'm Simon Dodge. For those of you who don't know me, um, I've got the privilege of speaking to you today. I just want to thank my good friend Jerry, who's helped put the service together. I can, couldn't do it without Jerry. <clears throat> I like, I like um, fossicking for things. One of my favourite holidays ever was when I went away by myself to the coast. And I drove up to Karamea and past Karamea, and I drove as far as the road goes. It goes gravel, it turns into a little loop at, by a river, and I put my tent right at the end of that loop, as far as I could get away at the end of that road. <laughs> and I spent basically five days fossicking for things. I mean, I, I, I walked and I ran and I, I wrote, but, but all the while I was fossicking. I collected beautiful, large rocks, small lovely stones that I'd put in my pocket. I collected leaf skeletons. I took photographs. I collected driftwood. I took a, a photo of something um, on the roof of a cave that, um, that glistened like diamonds when I shone my torch on it. And I remember standing under the, the Moria Arch Gate, which is this really large limestone archway, and uh, also covered in trees above it, and I stood there, and there was water drops dro dropping from, from this little point. And I, just w I looked up at that drop, and I, I counted how many seconds each drop took to come down. It took four seconds from when it left the, the, the tree up there to when it came down and kind of landed right on my, on my head. And for those four seconds, every single other thing in the whole world was out of focus. Only that one, that one drop was in focus. Hmm. The treasures that I collected on that holiday were not just natural treasures. I remember sitting on a hill above the bush line and I was reading my Bible and I was so inspired by uh, what I was reading in a psalm that I, I, I wrote a whole sermon on the back of a supermarket docket that I had in my back pocket. <laughs> no, one, no one got to hear it, but it, it was for me, like a treasure that God had given me. And I like treasure. One of the treasures that I keep coming across is humility. The most courageous, vulnerable, and empowering state of being in the universe. There is something about humility that I find incredibly attractive. And the more I see it, the more I want it. And the more I want it, the more I want rid of some of those other things that don't seem to go with it. I don't want to be conceited or selfish or arrogant. I don't want to have a, a superiority complex and to think of myself as being of greater worth than someone else. Those things start to feel detestable in, the, in, in comparison to the beauty of humility. Humility is a quality I see in all of the people that I admire. Some of those people 
are out here today. And as I read my Bible, the characters that most inspire me are invariably both humble and brave. It's no surprise to me that those two qualities often go together, humility and courage. Being humble does not mean being feeble. Humility is not being a doormat that everybody walks over, or a spineless jellyfish that constantly defers to everyone else's will. Rather, humility implies a right appreciation of who we are in relation to the one who created us. Humility brings with it a kind of strength and influence that is attractive and compelling. It unlocks doorways that the proud will never enter. It's also a magnet for many other admirable qualities, wisdom, kindness, the ability to lift other people up. But what is humility? How would you define it? I'm going to give you two minutes to to have a chat with your neighbor and see if you can figure it out. What is humility? How are you going there? Um, it'd be really interesting actually to hear all, all of your answers to this question, but I'm not going to ask you because there's way too many of you and there's only one of me. But in fact, I'm not going to give you a definition of humility. Rather, I'm going to tell you the stories of two men. The first man is called Jairus. As one of the synagogue rulers, Jairus was a man of standing in his community. He was respected, he had influence. He was financially secure. He was, um, he was a father. He had children. His life was pretty well set up until unexpectedly he discovered how fragile all this really was when his little daughter became sick and she was at risk of dying. Suddenly, Jairus was desperate. Now, many of the Jewish religious authorities in the time of Jesus, when Jairus was living, they regarded Jesus as a threat, for every th- a threat to everything that they stood for. He was the enemy. So if one of their own reached out to Jesus, it was kind of akin to desertion. They could pretty much kiss their job goodbye and the respect that came with it. But for Jairus, this was one of those life-changing moments, sort of a, a crossroads. His daughter was dying. And he knew that Jesus healed people. It's funny how all that stuff about prestige and respectability and what people think of you means nothing when you're desperate. Some of you have probably faced desperate situations too. But all of us need to come to that same place ourselves where we realize that those things that we hold on to for security, for self-respect, for meaning, they're actually not enough. We need God. And the only way to come to him is with humility. 
Let's pick up the story of Jairus in Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came to him. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. You never see the emotion in the Bible, do you? Just pages, just words on a page. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. I'm going to skip some verses, but long story short, on the way to Jairus' house, some men came to inform him that, sadly, his daughter had died. But Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. So they arrived at the house, and after he had sent all the mourners outside, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. There's a principle that is found all the way through the Bible, and it's this. The way up is down. The way up is down. Jesus went from, sorry, Jairus went from desperation to joy because he was prepared to risk everything and humble himself before Jesus in front of all of the crowd. And the, and the story of Jairus is only one of countless stories of people who came to Jesus in need, laying down their pride, humbling themselves before him. And in every case, he lifted them up. And they went away filled with joy. This is a principle you can rely on. If you humble yourself before God, he will lift you up. James 4 verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. <laughs> verse Peter all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. I'm going to tell you about the second man now. His name was Enoch. And he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He lived a long time ago when people's genes were still nearly perfect, so they lived a really, really, really long time. <laughs> you can read about Enoch in Genesis 5. Um, even though there's hardly anything written about him at all, in fact, there are four short words that define him. See if you can pick them up, because they appear twice. I need to explain that uh, sorry, Genesis 5 is actually just a genealogy list, you know? so-and-so was the father of so-and-so and then they lived so many years and then when they were this old they died and then the next person and it's like a copy and paste no nothing at all just facts facts copied and pasted the same sentence just changed the name and that's what Genesis 5 looks like except for the verses about Enoch I'll pick it up on the one before about his father Jared when Jared had lived 162 years he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Gerald lived for 800 years. Told you they had good genes. <laughs> and he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years and then he died. 
when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Did you pick up those four words? Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. Now, I like running. I especially like long runs in wild places. Don't worry. I'm not going to talk about running right now. I could if you wanted me to. (laughs) But I do want to say that some of the longest and deepest conversations that I've ever had with people have been when I have been out with them in the hills running. And so I love this picture of Enoch walking with God. To me, it speaks of a long run in the hills with God. Only it's not only just a one-day event. It's a multi-day event. It's a multi-multi-day event with time for the longest and deepest conversation ever. Which brings me to that little word, intimacy. You may have heard me talk about this before, and you'll almost certainly hear me talking about it again, because this definition of intimacy has really revolutionized my relationship with God. The word intimacy, as you can see there, intimacy, it sounds like into me see. And that's exactly what intimacy is. It's opening yourself up to another person so that nothing is hidden. Everything is open and visible, including the things you're shy about, or maybe even my sister. Sorry. (laughs) Including the things you're shy about, or perhaps even ashamed of. Of course, intimacy doesn't happen until the other person responds by opening their heart wide to you. And there is a mutual into me see. If you've ever experienced that, you'll know that the, the sense of closeness and acceptance is just beautiful. So how does intimacy with God work? What happens when you invite the, the holy, all-powerful creator of the universe to into me see? The Bible in James 4 verse 8, James 4 verse 8 says... Somebody knows this. Come near to God and he will come near to you. There's a few people down there that know this. It's an invitation or the promise. If I come near to God, he will come near to me. So why don't we try this right now? Are you ready for this? You can do it with me. We'll, I, I, I just think it's no point just talking about this. Let's just do it. So... Um, you know, when, I, um, when I'm kind of uh, doing this, I, I, um, I like to just kind of ho- hold my hands up maybe or just, I just sense that, like this guy, you know, open wide. So why don't you just close your eyes just to, just to, um, just to get rid of the distractions and, and then I'm just going to pray. You can, in your just head, just go along with me and we'll just invite God. Let's, let's just try this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you love me. Thank you that I can come to you right now and you welcome me. Lord, I just want to open up my heart to you. Invite you just to see into me. 
I just, I hide nothing, Lord. Thank you for the hope that you've given me. Lord, if there's anything in my life that you want to say right now, anything you want to bring to my attention, I just ask you if you would do that. We, we ask you, Lord, open your heart to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can come, we can come to you like this. And you always meet us with your arms open wide. Thank you, Jesus. How's that? I love doing that. I love doing that when I read my Bible or sometimes when I'm out running. Or just sometimes, you know, it comes to the mind, comes to your mind. Sometimes you've got to focus on it, but it's just so nice just to do that. The reason we can do this, of course, is because, you know, because um, of the cross. At the cross, with everything open and laid bare, Jesus took our sin, our shame, our brokenness, so that we could come into his presence forgiven and restored and without shame. There has been no greater display of humility and into me see than what Jesus did at the cross. So we don't need to be afraid when we come to Jesus. He's made the first move. So how does intimacy with God relate to humility? Well, I want to suggest to you that intimacy calibrates our opinion of ourselves and and kind of naturally brings us to a point of humility. Um, I see that there are are two two ways that a person can deviate away from um, from the right way of thinking about themselves. You can either think too much of yourself, which I'm going to call pride, or you can have a really low sense of your own worth, which I'm going to call low self-worth. And then in the middle, there's a sort of a central point of humility where we're calibrated. I believe that intimacy with God is the cure for both pride and low self-worth. Let me explain. Firstly, pride. Sometimes, some of us think just a little bit more of ourselves than we should. When we consider who we are and what we have, we're very happy to take the credit for it. We forget that every good gift and every perfect present comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Even the ability to work is from God. So actually, we have no room to boast or feel smug. But how does that self-assured attitude feel when you draw near to a holy God, when you open your arms out wide to him? How does it feel when you let God into me see? I remember attending a conference in our church many years ago, um, one of our conferences, and Murray Robertson was talking about leadership, but it seemed to me that God was talking about something else. Um, The more that Murray spoke, the more overwhelmed that I became with this awareness of my own pride and conceit, and I hated it. And I just wanted to get rid of it. And I just wished that Murray would stop talking so I could get up the front and just do something about it, you know? So the moment he he finished talking, whatever it was he was talking about, I was down the front like a shot. I I clambered over the seats and tripped over people's legs. 
And I remember I got there and I just burst like a flood of tears and, and somebody came to see what, what was up and I, I just could hardly even talk. The thing is, you can't bring pride into God's presence. As soon as you become aware of it, you realize that you've got only two options. You either lay it down or you run away. There's nothing else. You can't stand there with it. You lay it down or you run away. So my advice to you, as soon as you become aware of it, get rid of it. Lay it down. The feeling of humility and of being right before God is so much better than anything you'll get by holding on to your pride. It's like the sun breaking in the morning after a night of rain. There's a, a lovely verse in Proverbs 4.18 which says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. Man, that's what I want. So calibration. At this end of the spectrum, we've got pride. At the other end, we've got low self-worth. Now, I was, I was running along a country road um, recently, just, just out in, past the edge of the city, and I came across this monarch butterfly, and it was on the road, and, um, and I, I love monarch butterflies, they're so beautiful, aren't they? You know, they're just so beautiful. And um, so I, I just sort of quietly crept up to it, and normally they would fly away, but it didn't. And um, I came right up to it, I, I crouched down and just looked at it, and it's, it was moving, it wasn't dead, but it didn't fly away. And I put my hand in, and I just, just sort of coaxed it onto my hand, and, and I picked it up. And then I just sort of stepped off the road um, onto the grassy verge, and then it, it mustered enough energy to fly out of my hand in about a couple of metres, and then just landed on the fence post, just over there. The thing is that on the outside, that butterfly looked beautiful, but inside, he was completely empty. He'd run out of gas. <laughs> we can be like that butterfly. On the outside, it looks to others like things are going really well, like we've got it all together. But on the inside, we can actually be completely empty. And what is the cure? The cure is to allow the Creator to gently coax us onto His hand and hold us. This is the part of Into Me See where we see God's heart for us and we discover that He loves us and that we are precious to Him. To feel and truly appreciate God's love for us is the cure for every lie of the devil. It is impossible to truly know God's love for you and to feel worthless at the same time. If God loves you, you are precious. You are wanted. You are cherished. You are safe. That's why it's so important to have a revelation of God's love. That's why... Paul prays in Ephesians, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When you know how much God loves you, not just in your head, but in your heart, it changes you. There comes an inner beauty, a confidence, a strength that is not dependent on what other people think about you. No longer do you need other people's approval to feel good about yourself. What matters now is what God thinks. Of course, change doesn't happen overnight, but that's okay because remember, intimacy with God is not a one-day event. It's a multi-day. It's every day. It's walking with God like Enoch did and enjoying with him the best conversation of your life. <laughs> We're nearly finished. So Jairus finds humility in a crisis and teaches us that the way up is down. Enoch shows us that intimacy with God calibrates us, bringing not just um, humility but wholeness. Let's just finish with a final twist on humility. The twist is a question. Is it possible for the truly humble person to be humiliated? To be humiliated is to be made to feel small and foolish in front of others. It's a feeling that most of us know and some of us dread. But what if you've already humbled yourself? What if in your place of intimacy with God, You've already opened up about those things that make you feel small and foolish. And what if when you did that with God, you didn't die? <laughs> and you didn't get rejected? And you realize that God still loves you just the same. Somehow, it takes this thing out of it, doesn't it? The more you've enjoyed the feeling of, the beautiful feeling of humility before God, the more you'll be able to enjoy the same humility with other people without feeling humiliated. In other words, you can be yourself. And you're, you, can have, you can be yourself and have your dignity remain intact. Because your dignity is no longer grounded on what other people think, but rather on what God thinks. There's no more need for fear, because perfect love drives out fear. No need for second-guessing what the other person might be thinking of you. No need for pretense. No need for a facade to protect, protect your true self. Instead, confidence and an openness that is disarming. And it's not just you that's in for the blessing. Once you've humbled yourself before God and had him lift you up, you'll discover that lifting others up is actually the family business. You know what I'm saying? And you have your own, unique to part, uh, your own unique part to play in that. Do you know who the greatest are in the kingdom of heaven? Not the ones with the greatest public profile, or the most senior leadership positions, or even the ones with the greatest faith. It's the ones with the greatest humility. That's what Jesus said. When the foundation of your dignity is God's love for you, you can change the world. Can the band come? I hope that God has been stirring in your heart today.
For some of you, it's pride. Do you want to lay it down? You can do it right where you're sitting, if you like. Or if you need to get down on your knees before God, there's plenty of room up here. Clamber over the seats if you need to. For some, it's the appeal of intimacy with God. You have wandered from that position of closeness with God and you need to get recalibrated. Or perhaps you've actually never known a relationship with God and you'd like to. Would you like to respond to him today? Because if you would, we'd love to help you. Feel free to come. Finally, <clears throat> although God loves all of us, it's clear from Scripture that God has a special concern for the lowly and the downtrodden. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like that monarch butterfly today. Look, <clears throat> looking good on the outside, but on the inside, empty. Please come. I believe that God just wants to pour out his love into you and we'd love to pray with you and just um, just start that process thanks thanks guys you're most welcome to come during the song if you want to come in front and just um, 